What if you found out you spent the majority of your life living way below where God wanted you to? What if you found out that this past year you didn't even come close to what God had in store for you? What if you found out that for the last 10 years of your life you haven't tapped into what God intended you to tap into? What if you found out that you got to the end of your life and you live way, way, way below what God intended for you? Like four or five shovels at home on our wall in the garage. And you, you guys remember last winter. Like, that's all I did. I was like, <laughs> and by the time you do it, you're out there doing it again. And it was like a gauntlet going into our garage. It was cool, by the way, like eight feet on both sides, but it was hard work. But we didn't complain. We just got out there and... And so at the beginning of the year, I was in Menards. We were in there shopping, and, and I went by the shovel section. Man, there was this shovel. It was, I mean, it was sweet. I mean, it was, like, there's ladies right now that don't have a clue. But guys, you get it, don't you? Like, the sweetest shovel possible. Like, it's not plastic, and it doesn't break in half when you hit something hard. And I was like, man, that's the shovel. Like, pick, picked it up and looked around. Just... That'll do it. And I remember processing this thought, like, I should buy that thing because, man, that'll cut my work in half. But I remember thinking at the time, you know, didn't have the money with me. wasn't budgeted at that time, but I'll get it. Like, I remember thinking, I got to get back to Menards. Well, I never got back to Menards, and the snow came. And so I was out. But in the back of my mind, you know what I was thinking about? Menards. And God was thinking about something else, too. Like, last Monday or Tuesday, uh, um, I get this call from this person. going the And they said, hey, Jim. Something like, hey, uh, I know you shovel your driveway. I was like, yeah. And he said, you know, we got this snowblower. Like, it's been set in the barn. We, we hardly ever use it. It, it. it looks brand new. It's like, it's 27 inches wide. It's an eight horsepower, electric start. It's got a light on it. It's got four speeds forward on it. And it's got a reverse on it. And you could stand behind it like tool, Tim the Tool Man, baby. Most of you didn't get that, but the older crowd understands. And so he's asking about, you know, would, would you be interested in this? thinking, oh, Lord, you knew what I was thinking, didn't you? And he says, by the way, you know what? I can deliver it to your house. He delivered it, and I just kind of just petted it in the garage. And I started praying for snow. And let me tell you, when that first snow came, man, I was thrown. I had that shoot on it. It was shooting 500 feet down the next road. I was white. I was just grunting, man. I put sidewalks in our backyard. I put them everywhere. <laughs> so every time you start and you think, God, I'm more than a conqueror today. And you know what? He's <laughs> a great. So I'm going to give you a chance. We're going to practice here before you leave. Because some of you right now, I'm getting in there. And so when the third service come in, they see you sitting in your car. (laughs) They're wondering, what happened in there? So I want you to do something. I want you to fill in your name. Like, you are Bob the Great, Tim the Great, like Louise the Great. And I'm going to give you a chance. And you're going to say that on the count of three. And you're going to say it like you believe it. Like, now just picture it. Get your keychain out. 
You're getting ready to go for a ride. Think about it. Here we go. On the count of three, let's hear you say like you believe who you are in Christ. One, two, three. Oh, you don't believe it. I can tell you don't believe it. I mean, I can't even hear the link. I should be able to hear it through the wall right now. Now, speak it like you believe it. Like, I want to hear the back row back there. In fact, I didn't hear anything here. I'm Bob the Great. All right, on the count of three. Ready? Say it like you believe it. This is who you are. You're more than a conqueror. One, two, three. That's what I'm talking about. That's who you are. So then Paul closes this out. This is where we're getting to the, the really, really, like, like, this is the pinnacle. Like, we're working there. He says, now, hold on, hold on. This is good. This is good. This is truth. This is truth. And because of these truths, he's pounding on, which Paul was good at. He gets to verse 37, and look what he says. No! In all these things, we are more. What's the next word? Then, help me out. We are more than what? Conquerors through him who loved us. Then Paul says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither this present life, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are more than conquerors. Lori Chupp told me after the first service today, she said in sign language, when you say that you're more than a conqueror, she said literally it's like this. She said you take the head of the enemy and you squash it. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Like... You take it and you overcome. That's the overcome. You squash that head. And that's what we've done to the enemy because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And what he did in the grave, he was resurrected. He overcame death. And we win, we win, we win, we win. We're more than conquerors. It seems difficult and hard. But I know what? In the midst of this pain that I'm in, in the midst of it's dark, in the midst that everything's hurting, in the midst of it doesn't look, doesn't look very clear, in the midst of I don't know what's going to happen, I know this, God, that I am more than a conqueror, and you have something in store for me that I haven't imagined, that I ever could imagine, and it's going to be really good because you've been working on it since the foundation of the world. That changes everything. upon us. We place our hopes, our desires upon us instead of Jesus. And this is extremely easy to do. My question to you is, do you have a misplaced type of hope? You might be giving your entire body to something. You might be working so hard at your career or whatever it might be, but if you're not doing it for the right reasons, it means nothing. Uh, A lot of people today, they tell me like, Dan, like, I just want to get a rush out of life. You know, like, I, I want to feel that rush. Let me tell you this. Following Jesus is the greatest rush anyone can have in life. Amen? It's the greatest rush anyone can have in life. It's the greatest rush. Because when you're following Jesus, you're living by faith. You're sharing your, 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 the gospel message with other people. And that's hard. That's scary. But the, it's the greatest rush anyone can have. Not caffeine. Not relationships. Not a convertible. Not Starbucks coffee. Jesus Christ is the greatest rush 
any of us can have. Where's your hope? Like, is your Bible next to your bed? Is that the first thing you turn to other than your cell phone? Do you have that same hope and faith in Jesus that you have, like, in your pocket? Do you have God's word in your pocket? I find it incredible how young people are so attached to their cell phone. You know the easiest way to drown a teenager without water? Take their cell phone away. I'm serious. I'm serious. I've seen, I've had to take, you know, like different mission trips, take a cell phone away. The kid's gasping for breath. Like, I can't live without my cell phone. No lie. Ready for this? uh, My wife and I, we went out for pizza last night. And so we were talking, and there was a teenage girl uh, that was eating next to us, so we struck up a conversation. She told me that in her high school career, she transitioned schools. And in that transition, she was at a school for two days, but she had to transition back to her other school. You know the reason why? She couldn't have her cell phone at school. So she had to transition back because she was so attached to her cell phone. Listen, this can become a misplaced type of hope. Do you have the same rush, anticipation when you, get, when you pray, when you're sharing your faith in God's word, than on this device? So some of you might be feeling yourself, man, I, I feel hopeless. I, I don't have hope. My life is hard. Like, you know, I'm a single mother or like my work is hard. If you only knew how bad my kids were, like I feel hopeless with God there is hope. God is not only a God of love, he's a God of hope. Do you think they worry about getting fed? Do you think they take their wings, put them up to their face, and say, Oh, am I going to be fed today? They never worry. Because God takes care of them. He wants them to know that they are more valuable than the birds of the air. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 7, it says that even the hairs on our heads are numbered. He keeps track of the hairs on our heads. It's for some of us, it's less and some it's more. As, as we walk by the barbershop, the hair cutting place here in, in Erbil, I watched the barbers, they, 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 they swept up the pals of hair. And God looked at those pieces of hair. He knew what head they belonged on. 
He knew how many left that head. He knew the precise exact number of hairs in that power. He loved you very much. The Bible also tells us about our God. You see, we carry burdens that were never intended to carry. God didn't design our backs to carry our own problems and our own concerns. Our backs are strong. He said to cast all our worries, all our concerns, take our backpacks of worry and throw it on him. Jesus wanted them to know this that worry keeps you from enjoying this life that he's created. If I could care for the grass, and I can feed the birds, and I can take care of the lilies of the field, aren't you more valuable than this? Will I not clothe you? Grace Community Church, I would like to thank you so much uh, uh, for everything that um, you've offered and you've supported our church here in Erbil, the Alliance Church. And uh, me, Malad, and, uh, and the whole church would like to say really thank you for uh, all the support and uh, the, the, the thing that you've, you've saved of so many people's life here in Erbil. They were like... Uh, in a very desperate situation, and without your help, these people would stay like in that desperate situation. But like now, with these apartments and uh, with these all these units, uh, people are finding you know peace and and refuge and uh, and even the love from the local church. And also, like we would like to thank uh, all the families back in, in in Indiana who sent all these great men uh, to Erbil to be with us and to spend a very good good time. Uh, at the church and even at the apartment, we have had really a great time and a fun time and a very spiritual time. And we visited uh, from unit to unit, from place to place. And we just we are we were so happy to tell them that people in America and people from Grace Community Church are in love with you. And they're like really so grateful to help you. And as a local church, also, we did the same thing. And I just I can't only like I just would like to say Thank you so much for trusting us as a local church. Thank you so much for trusting us as the people here in Iraq to help our people and to save them. And I would like you to pray for us that uh, this is going to be a, a church planting. And this is going to be like kind of like a beginning uh, for something new for his kingdom. And uh, we believe God's going to expand that for his own kingdom. And uh, by God's grace, uh, he would like and say, like, really, thank you.
in control. But there's also a button on here that Greg showed me and George showed me. And it has autopilot on it. That you can hit autopilot and I release control and I go in autopilot. Listen, you don't want me to fly your plane. But here's the point I'm getting at today. Many of us are holding tightly onto these plans that we believe are from God. And we got, say, God, we got this one. Like, God, this is how it should go. And so you pray, you believe, but you don't want to release control of your job. You don't want to release control of your kids. You don't want to release control of your marriage. You don't want to release control of your investments. You don't want to release control of that thing you've been praying for. You think that somehow that God needs you and him to do exactly what he wants. But what we need to do is to hit autopilot, disconnect, and let God take the reins. Here's a question I have for you. Is there ever a legitimate reason to do this? Like, well, God, even though I'm bowing down, even though I'm looking like everyone else here, in my heart, I'm not bowing down. Like, how many times have you done that? Like, well, I didn't completely surrender, but... I, 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 I might have knelt like everyone else, but in my heart, God knew that I did, wasn't bowing down. Is that truly not bowing down? You can have faith and you can have control, but you can't have both at the same time. You can have faith in God and you can have control of your life, you think, but you can't have both at the same time. It's not the thing out there. It wasn't the idol. It wasn't the furnace out there. It's not the thing that holds you back. It's how you think about the thing that holds you back from doing God's will. We think, oh, if I have enough faith, God's going to protect me. God's not going to allow harm to come my way. I'm not going to have adverse situation. My kids aren't going to get sick. My marriage is going to be perfect. My marriage will never have hardship. Let me tell you something about marriage for a second, in case you haven't already found this out to be true. Marriage is hard. And don't be disillusioned by that. Like somehow, like if you're having a struggle in your marriage, like somehow like, like you're the only couple out there. You're human beings. But you have a God that can get you through the difficulties of marriage. And as you walk through these adverse situations of marriage, when you come out the other side releasing control of it, instead of trying to manipulate your spouse and get on the other end, you become stronger together as one because when you walk through hardship together and you trust on God, you come out the other side stronger. Can I get one amen out of that? Faith is not supposed to insulate us. We broker deals with God. Have you ever been guilty of brokering the deal with God? Like, God, I'll do this if... If, if my investments get a thousand percent return. God, I'll do this if, 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 if you give me that job. Lord, I'll trust you. The re- God, if you spare me from this situation, God, I promise, God, I'll move to Africa and eat June bugs the rest of my life. <laughs> we do. We broker all these deals. Like, like with God. Like, God, if you come through, I, I'll, I'll let go, God, if you... Do this. It's like, you know, you, I, I have to laugh sometimes when I think about it. You think God looks down and says, man, that's quite a deal. <laughs> even if you don't rescue me, God, even if it means I die a martyr's life, 
Even if it means I lose some friends in school. Even if it means I lose my job. Even if it means people think I'm a crazy, lunatic Christian. Even if it means I get criticism for standing up for Jesus Christ. Let me just say something that's that's important here. Jesus showed up after they stepped out in faith and cut loose of the control of their life. He didn't show up before. It wasn't like Jesus said, hey, grab a hand on three. Let's all jump. He doesn't see him standing at the furnace with Jesus in the middle. Ready? One, two, three. No. He showed up after they stepped out in faith. You know what? As far as they were concerned, even if it meant the death of them, they were willing. Yeah, Grace Community was uh, canceled today. Yeah. You're about the 600 person that asked me that question this morning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, but we are uh, having a, a service that you can watch online. So uh, if you tune in in a little bit, you'll be able to watch this. And uh, God's put a team together here today, and we're excited about it. Hey, stay warm. And uh, no, I retract that statement. Go out and play in the snow. <laughs> Thanks. See ya. Bye. Hey, welcome today. Uh, we're here today just uh, to encourage your hearts. And um, obviously, uh, there's a red alert. Um, God wasn't surprised by this, was he, guys? God wasn't surprised by this. And we want to encourage you today with God's word. And we're hoping that somehow this devotional, uh, this worship time really does that. Uh, and that you kind of snuggle in and grab your family, or if you're single, that this encourages your heart. And uh, we're excited that we get to bring the good news of Jesus to you today. So bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. When life doesn't make sense, like, there's been times, I'll be honest, I wonder, like, why does my mom have to walk through that? Like, she's done so much. She's poured into me, and all of us have had parents or people that have poured into us. And and I know Jeremy, um, Jeremy, for you, um, you lost your mom to cancer. What what age was that? How old were you when you lost your mom? Um, I was 23. Um, yeah, we had just had... Uh, she was up visiting um, when we had my daughter. When we had Lily, uh, she came up to see us and uh, see Lily right after she was born. And she didn't tell us at that time, but that's when she found the lump. And, and it was just a couple years after that. And yeah, hard, hard times for our family um, as a whole. Uh, but God, uh, He works through it. 
All that to say this this morning, that even when it doesn't make sense, even when it feels like your life is falling apart, it really isn't when you, when you know Christ. Like, if we could see the way that God is caring for us, like even right now, if I was able to open up, and I'm not able to, but if I was able to open up the heavenlies, and you could see the angels, the messengers, the ministering spirits Scripture talks about that are serving around you, fighting for you, battling for you, and if you could see the plan that God has charted out, you know, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven said he has this plan for you already charted. If you could see the end, like he's going to work everything out for good for us. Look at the response. Simon Peter answered him. It's one of my favorite verses in scripture. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. In other words, who else are we going to follow? Like, why would we follow someone else? Like, he's saying, like, you offer words of eternal life. Like, like, Justin, why would we go anywhere else? Like, Amanda, why would, Chris, why would we go, Lori, why would we listen to, Jeremy, uh, Wes, why would we listen, Peter's like, like, who else are we going to listen to? The Goshen News? I mean, seriously, like, are, are we going to listen to CNN or are we going to listen to the broadcast on the radio? Or are we going to listen to you? Like, even though it's hard, like, you contain the words of life. If you want to say to Jesus, I'm not going anywhere, Jesus. Like, if you want to be one of those followers and after your prayer time together and you're saying, Jesus, you can ask me that question. I'm not going anywhere, Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go on social media. I want you to go on Twitter. I want you to go on Instagram. Maybe it's a picture of you in your room right now, of your family. Maybe it's you by yourself, and you're taking a picture. I want you to post this picture on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, and I want you to put hashtag, I'm not going anywhere, Jesus. Okay, I'm not going anywhere. Let's say it together, guys. I'm not going anywhere, Jesus. times in life you come across people that really at a moment when you need it the most, they send you a text, they give you a phone call, they, they call you up and say, hey, I was thinking about it. God brought you to mind. And how many of us have had moments in our lives when it's been at the bottom rung where it seemed like everything was falling apart and out of nowhere, a person, two or three people came alongside and said, we're going to walk you through this and you were able to. The Lord said, I want you to go out and I want you to fill up this jar. Take this jar and I want you to take some of the manna that has been collected. I want you to put it in a jar. So collect it. So they took this manna, they put it in a jar and they, and they says, I want you to take this jar and I want you to put it with the tablets of the law. And he says, I want them to be able to see when you think the Lord hasn't provided. Remember 40 years of honey graham crackers. And all you had to do was walk out and pick it up. Why did God want this? Why did God put this beside the tablets, the covenant law? 
why in his mind isn't the word of God enough? Here's why. Because we often need reminded that while God says this, we need to see it. It's in these kind of times that we must remember that the enemy isn't the person. The enemy is the real enemy with the big E, and he's called Satan. And sometimes even a marriage relationship, athletic relationships, and variety of relationships in the world, if they don't know Christ, we see the person as the enemy. And when the real enemy is the enemy called Satan. And sometimes even in community of relationship and marriage, how many times are you angry at your husband? How many times are you angry at your wife? And you're just pitted at each other. You know what the enemy's doing while that's going on? He's like, got another one. When the real enemy is Satan himself. Winning together is God's design for us. Let me explain what I mean by that. Life is not just about winning on your own. We are here to help others win. Too often, you and I make decisions based on how this next potential step will help us or me or I. Or do I need this? Is this best for me? Our calendars are full of our interests, what we want. Yet God has designed us to live in community. And and Paul said that Christ, in Philippians 2, had others' interests he placed them above his own. I often wondered if, if, if after the battle, people asked, like, Joshua, who were the dudes up on top of the mountain? Like, who was the guy that held the staff? And why did they stand there all day long? I bet he said something like this. Well, you see those three up on the mountain and you see the old guy in the center? With his arms raised high. And those two young men beside him holding up his arms. Did you realize that I couldn't have won the battle without them? Did you realize that every time I went into battle and I knew that the man of God behind me was in support and praying for me and asking for favor on the battle... Did you realize that if he wouldn't have been there, we wouldn't have all won this battle? doesn't deserve that like he's done too much wrong like the sum of his sins far outweighs any grace but you and I know this truth grace makes us more than the sum of our sin any amens for that we see God like oh yeah there it is oh yeah divide that by like 52 weeks oh my goodness like oh there's Jim I don't have a calculator big enough there it is and so we carry our calculator, and we think God's up here like he's this math teacher. Like, it's probably like calculus teacher, too, because most of us don't like calculus. Like, I'm not going to that class. And so we see God like this math teacher who's just adding it up, adding it up, adding it up. But the truth of the matter is this, we have a God of grace. 
and the sum of our sin, his grace far outweighs that. And God is like an etch-a-sketch. Sure, we should repent of our sin. Sure, we should acknowledge our sin and ask for forgiveness of that. But listen, you know what God does with our sin? He puts it on an etch-a-sketch and he shakes it clean. And he gives us a fresh start all over, every single minute, every single hour, every single day. Our God does not keep records of our wrongs. Listen, if he did, we would all go to hell. But praise God for his grace. How much do you love the president of the United States? Now, seriously. We love the Lord as much as we love the person we love the least. How much do you love your exes? How much love you have for your pastors? How much do you love your coach, a teacher, a former, whatever? Doesn't the enemy do that to us too? You think, why would your father love you? Do you think there was ever a moment on his way back when he saw his dad sprinting at him like, oh, I'm in trouble. Sure there was. I don't ever think that the younger son ever thought that his dad would grab a hold of him, run to him, drop, pick up his robe. Because in in the ancient Orient, let me tell you, men in this kind of condition that were dignitaries who were wealthy, they didn't run. Like the culture of the day, you would never see a man roll up his robe and sprint. Women ran, kids ran, but now he sees his dad rolling up the robe. Oh boy, I'm in for it now. But it says he grabs a hold of him, puts his arms around him. He says, Son, grace, 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 grace. I love you. The second we base our own righteous acts, our own lives, and we look, begin to look at people like, look what I've accomplished. The minute we do that, it's called pride. And when we operate out of pride, it's sin. And we begin to look at people as less than us. Here's the reality. Listen to me. We're all just saved by the grace of God. There is not one righteous act we'll ever do outside of what Christ does through us. It's impossible to forgive someone if you feel superior to them. The primary reason we don't extend grace is because we see our, and view our own lives and our own perspectives as better than others. Up to this point, nowhere in this parable did it say that the older brother searched for his younger brother. Why? Like, they searched for the coin, didn't they? They turned that house upside. They swept it clean. We got to find that lost coin. They searched. They left 99 sheep behind. And that one that was lost, they left him behind. They said, we got to go find it. But nowhere in this account do we see any search party sent out for the son. And especially not by the older brother. Why? Because he thought he was superior to his younger brother. He felt superior to his brother. Have you ever been around someone like that? It's impossible to forgive someone if you feel superior to him or her. I wonder how many of you are like the older brother, the good brother. You see, he's now more lost than his brother is because his brother's in. He freely took the gift of salvation. He's part of the party, and now... 
the older brother is as lost as his brother was when he ran away from his father. The older brother thinks that the only way you should have a celebration and be invited is is if you're good enough for God. I want to jump in the middle of the story like and, 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 and ask, how many of you would be angry if, if your brother, your sister, your boss, your ex, your neighbor, your coach, your ex-friend, how many of you would be angry if, if they received the grace of God in an unusual way? Because they don't deserve that. Don't you know, God, what they did to me? Doesn't he know it? That's why he sent Jesus to the cross. are worth more than we realize whether we want to admit that or not all of us are in a storm coming out of one or about ready to go into one and they're all different and sometimes they're very similar it's in those times that God teaches us some really really good things if we let him if we don't bail out of them and all you hear as you cry out to God in the midst of it is complete silence but you know that you know that you know he's with you. But you just want to hear from God. What's the time or what's the date? When will this thing be fixed? It's like we need to know. But God says, nothing. It's quiet. And he says, hold on, child. Hold on, son. Hold on, daughter. I'm with you. And I'm going to walk you through this. And there will be a day down the road where you'll fully understand the full brunt of this storm. And there'll be a day down the road. That you'll be able to stand up and you'll be able to say, thank you, God. Thank you. It's the parent who knows that the child must go through that. And even though you want to reach in and like, no, no, I don't want them to experience that. You want to grab them and pull them out of the way. But you know, they must experience that storm in order for them to grow. And to mature in their faith. And every parent wants to jump in and say, I don't want you to feel that pain right now. You shouldn't have to go through that. But the parent wants to jump in. But no, God says, no, I'm not going to reach in. I'm going to let you experience. But I'm going to walk with you through this so that you can be mature, strong, able to face anything in life. See, if we avoid all of life's abrasions, we will never be polished enough to shine. In other words, if we don't feel the full effect of of this horrible storm, then it pounding against us, beating against us. It has the ability, because it's hard, to literally, uh, the abrasion, the rubbing, it polishes us. So there comes a day after we've been through it that we literally can shine and say, look what God did. He got me through this. And many of us want to punt, want to escape, where we don't get the full polished treatment. It's just in and out. And God says, no, I want to polish you so that you can stand one day and say, by faith in my God, this is what he did for me. 
It seems like literally that all hell has broken loose in Paul's life. Like, like, where's God? Like, you're telling me that God is in that? You're telling me that the vessel that I'm living in and staying on, falling to people, you're telling me that I got to swim to the shore? That's what God wants? You're telling me I can't even swim. And you're telling me I've got to jump in that water? And you're telling me who, who my name is Paul, an apostle of Christ? You're telling me, God, that you wanted me to swim with these chains? You're telling me that you're with me? Yeah, I'm with you. And remember, I promised you. I promised you. And I'm good on my word. And even though this storm is, is, is very, very difficult, and it feels like it's going to take your life, I promised you. That you will make it through. Don't punt. Don't bail. Don't walk away. Because this abrasion will polish you. And it will make you stronger at the end of it. This father who was sick with fever and dysentery. And this son who had been like praying. Oh God please. I pray that you touch my dad. He's not doing well. And he's on this remote island that, that these sailors had never been to. And he's praying. Lord please bring healing. Like. Bring a deliverer, God. Would you bring a physician? Would you bring someone that, that, that can give him something to take care of this dysentery and this fever because he's going to die? And so I see this picture of, of this son praying for his father and wondering, where's the help going to come from? And then one day he looks out across the sea and he sees 276 people swimming towards him. <laughs> come on, do you ever think he thought that was the way it was going to happen? And then he sees guys on planks, they're paddling. I'm coming, I'm coming. You see, while Paul was walking through this storm, if he would have bailed, if he would have walked away from it, if he wouldn't have praised God in the midst of this storm, he would have never gotten to the end of this. Because while he was just concerned or could have just been concerned about him, God heard the prayer of a son somewhere on a remote island that says, send me help. And he sent help by sending this storm with 276 men of one by the name of Paul who became God's deliverer. help you out. I'm the expert at doing this. Sometimes I wonder if as God looks at our lives as we're trying to down there figure out this complex situation, sometimes these simple situations, he's up there saying, hey, you know, I'm pretty good at that. Like, I've been doing that since infinity and beyond. Like, I have a chance that like, all you have to do is invite me in. I'm aware of things that you aren't aware of. I can give you input that you can't give input to. There's this passage, a couple passages in Revelation, Revelation 12 and 6, I believe, that says that, that, that literally that there are, there's, these, there's these bowls in heaven. They're the prayers of the saints. 
and they're, the, they're sweet-smelling incense. And it, there's this picture that when you and I pray, we throw prayers into these bowls. And there's this other picture in Scripture and Revelation that these prayers kind of pile up. Like we keep praying about something or praying for something or praying through something. That we continue to pile up. That literally these prayers are a sweet smell to God. And literally you and I have these bowls or these vases of prayers that continue to pile up. And then there's this picture where they literally explode. Where God determines that's the prayer. Like It's like we could be one prayer away from tipping the scale where God intervenes. But listen, many of us give up right before the miracle occurs. And so when we earnestly pray, literally, it's this picture of we have went to to infinity and beyond as hard and as deep and as far as possible. It's like, God, I'm giving everything I have to, to pray and intercede. It's this picture of sweating. God. And it says the church was stretching their muscles for Peter, that God would deliver him. I believe the majority of us miss out on the miraculous answers from God because we just don't believe it could happen. And we say things like this, I'm not deserving of that. Listen, none of us are deserving of God's grace. But God gives it anyhow. It wouldn't be grace if we were deserving of it. Like sometimes we think, like, I prayed on Monday, nothing happened by Wednesday, I better, God's God's done. It's like we, like, give God the work week. Like, he only has from Monday to Friday to answer our prayers. And and, and somehow, like, well, he takes the weekend off. I have to go back after on Monday. And so when it doesn't happen, there's this mindset of ours, like, boy, that prayer must not have worked. I don't believe that somehow as we age and we get into our 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s that God wants to use us less. I actually believe that all the prayers that we've been praying, like personally, I pray God for boldness. I pray, I pray for God's protection and blessing and favor on my life. I pray for on my, my marriage. I pray for it on my children. Like regularly, daily, I'm grabbing my wife and I'm praying those prayers over my family. Like I don't believe they end when I lo- leave the house. I don't believe they end when we go to bed at night. I believe that those prayers of protection, favor, and blessing continue to I breathe my last breath. You see, when you live with that mindset that there's this bank There's this reserve of prayers that you've been praying and it's kind of gone this way. Listen, as long as you're alive and as you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, your prayers should not retire you. They should refire you. That while everything else morphs and changes and dies and fails and frustrates and moves and leaves and disappoints and shifts and gives up and falls short and flees, Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Here's what I believe. The same God that did this for Peter because the church was praying, listen, can do it for us too. And not only can do it, he wants to do it.